This is episode 25, and we're going to dive deep into the editing of Narcos Mexico with Hugo Diaz and Chris Kavanaugh. Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. Hola, ¿qué tal? Welcome to episode 25 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. I'm still here, haven't gone anywhere, uh, just been <laughs> really busy uh, with this editing career. I recently sent out an email to this great community. Just wanted to check in and tell everyone that, yeah, maybe, you know, I disappear for a bit. I tend to, obviously, when I get busy with my day job, currently cutting a series for AMC. And, you know, I start getting uh, in, in, into the thick of it, right? And so um, I have to, I get really caught up with that. But I want to let you know that I'm still around. I'm still here. Obviously, I'm still doing a lot of YouTube videos, creating content. Part of that is also doing a live webinars. And that's what we're doing here today for episode 25 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Something a little different from the other episodes. I recently did a, a, a live webinar and Q&A session about the editing of Narcos Mexico with Hugo Diaz and Chris Kavanaugh. So if you weren't able to make it to that presentation, we're replaying it here now, obviously, this is a, a slightly edited version for, for clarity, and you will also not be able to obviously see the clips that uh, Ugo and Chris are talking about. But if you want to check those out and want to see the full presentation, head on over to the Hollywood Editing Mentor YouTube channel. It's posted there as well. And while you're there, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you get notified of future live webinars and other videos about editing and post-production. You'll find the link to the Hollywood Editing Mentor YouTube channel in the show notes. All right, guys, like I said, my guests on this webinar were Hugo Diaz and Chris Kavanaugh. I've been working with these guys now for the past couple of years on the hit Netflix series, Narcos Mexico. So today we're going to get some insight into the editing of this series. And we're also going to get some practical advice for those that are trying to start or advance a film and TV editing career. Some of the topics that we're going to discuss today include breaking into scripted television editorial in Hollywood, getting editing opportunities as an assistant editor, the importance of being ready for and taking advantage of big opportunities, how Hugo got the chance to edit the main title of Narcos Mexico Season 1 as an assistant, how to build relationships with producers, transitioning from unscripted to scripted television editorial, making a career transition when you have a family, how Narcos Mexico Season 3 was shot and edited during the pandemic, working with new characters in the show, the historical accuracy of Narcos Mexico, insight into the career of a scripted television editor, and how assistant editors can get promoted to the editing chair. 
One last thing before we start, just want to invite you to become a member of the Hollywood Editing Mentor community. Sign up. It's free at hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash community. You'll get access to my private Facebook page where I'm on there hosting live question and answer sessions and connecting you with other members of this great community. I also post a lot of job opportunities there. So sign up. It's free at hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash community. All right, guys, here we go with a special episode of the Hollywood Editing Mentor podcast, a replay of the live webinar and Q&A session with two of the editors of season three of Narcos Mexico, Hugo Diaz and Chris Cavanaugh. All right, welcome to, again, a special webinar here from uh, Hollywood Editing Mentor. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor program. It's so great to be here uh, with you on this Friday night. So what else are you going to be doing? Uh, we're going to talk about editing and, of course, Narcos Mexico. I want to know who has seen it. Put it in the chat box if you have already binged season three of Narcos Mexico. Um, we are going to get it dive deep into it today. So like I said in the email... Uh, there will be spoilers. I gave you that warning. There will be spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't watched it, go out there and watch it. All right, guys. Well, let's just get to it. Let's get to it. Uh, I want to introduce to you not only some amazing uh, editors, but very good friends of mine. Uh, it's almost like family, man. I mean, I've been with these guys for a while. Been doing this show now for a couple seasons. And so uh, we're going to talk about all that today and also just about the newly released season three of Narcos Mexico. So join me in welcoming Hugo Diaz and Chris Kavanaugh to the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome. What's, What's up? up, man? Good to see you again. Dude, I know. Well, we were talking about... what well, a I minute. Mean, well, I, Chris, I see. Well, I don't see him, but we <laughs> communicate every day. Uh, but Hugo, it's been a while, dude. Yeah, brother. It uh, feels like an eternity ago that we were working in the office together. I mean, what was it? Was it a year and a half? What was the run there, man? I, I'd have to look at the calendar and see what how yeah. long this whole season took. But well, I mean, well, we will, we'll definitely talk about all this stuff. I mean, like that, you know, Narcos season three got started. They started shooting what January twenty twenty. So, right. so I think I think somewhere around there. Um, and so we got sent home in March, right? March, when the pandemic yeah. hit. Mid March. And then picked it back up uh, in October of 2020. Yeah, I miss it. I miss our cappuccinos. Oh, the cappuccinos, the, the uh, turkey sandwiches from Bergamot. Yeah. <laughs> long lunches. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Chris, what's going on, dude? It's been a while, it's, too. I, yeah, it's, been, it's like 5.30 today, I think. Exactly. Oh uh, well, hey, guys, it's great to, to have you here. Um, uh, you know, it just honestly... Like I mean, we haven't done this. We haven't hung out in quite a while, uh, so it's cool to do this here now. And, um, and uh, so, just talk about the, the new really uh, the, the premiere of uh, Narcos Mexico season three. Congrats, you guys! I did some amazing work. So we're gonna uh, talk about that in a bit. Uh, I want to say, everyone, I want to ask everyone where uh, where everyone is joining us from. Uh, type that in the chat box. Where are you joining us from? I want to know that. I know I saw people from all different parts of the world. And so uh, let us know where you are watching from. Say hi. Um, so, uh, all right, guys. Well, I wanted to start off, first of all, uh, let's just start off. I wanted people to get to know you a little bit, uh, you know, uh, how you got to be editors. But, of course, uh, just kind of quickly tell, tell us, uh, you know, how you got into this and, and how you ended up on Arcos, Mexico. 
Uh, Hugo, let's start with you. Yeah, man. Uh, similar to your guys, you guys' story. I've uh, I came from uh, non-scripted. I came from marketing. I came from documentaries. I worked a lot in behind-the-scenes stuff. So I was, I, w- I found myself uh, having a nice, successful career cutting documentaries and marketing material for features for films. I worked on Jurassic Park and I worked, I got to work on Breaking Bad behind the scenes stuff. And it was around the last season of Breaking Bad that I just realized like, man, I, I want to be, you know, I was cutting material about Kelly Dixon and uh, about watching Michelle McLaren direct episodes. And I was like, I need to be working on that. And Yeah. And that's when that that's when the bug hit me. And I and and I just, you know, I finally was like, okay, I got to start making the moves to do that. And and, you know, I got to the point where I was very successful making the most money I'd ever made in uh, featurettes and marketing and all that stuff. And I was in demand and I was like, I'm going to walk away. And it was a little scary. But uh, suddenly, you know, our good friend Andrew Sepperly, who had worked with in the marketing world, was already at Narcos Mexico. This a spot opened up that was perfect for me, which was an archival position. We have a lot of archival footage in Narcos, and I speak Spanish, and it was just the perfect fit. And I, <laughs> I knew, like, I had to take the opportunity as soon as it came, so I took it. And that was my first scripted gig was as an archival assistant, and it was very much in my wheelhouse since I had worked in documentary and used to managing all that footage. And then a little bit, and I, and I told my wife, I remember having that conversation with her, listen, I'm going to take a big pay cut. And this is really important to me. And we had just had a baby. And I was like, but you know what? I think I was kind of naive, but I said two seasons. I said, give me, give me a couple of years. I'm going to, I'm going to get back to the editing chair in two years. And I had no idea what I was talking about, <laughs> but I did it. I took the job. And, you know, we could get we could dive more into it if, if we have time. But that's what it took. It took two seasons and I found myself back in the editing chair. So uh, it was a lot of luck and a lot of, you know, preparation. My career leading up to that point, just kind of the timing just hit perfectly. And the people that were there, they're supporting us like the, the, the show we talked about, like all of us got our we jumped in the editing chair on that show. So obviously there's something about that show and the people that work <laughs> there that are very supportive and it's a very family environment. And uh, it was just the perfect alchemy to like get me to that point. And, um, and yeah, man, it was, it was great. I, and I miss it. I miss it. It's uh, I spent four seasons on Narcos, two as an assistant and two as an editor. And, uh, and it's been great. It's been, it's, it's, I'll never forget it. Now, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of things I want to talk about there. I mean, like we, they can take up like the two hours right there or whatever, you know, sure, but, man. but first of all, you did start on Narcos uh, Colombia. Yep, I started season three of Narcos Colombia. I started as the archival assistant. So that position on that show, <laughs> it, it really feels like an entry level position yeah. because you have the assistants working on all the episodes and then you kind of feel like you're below them in a way. But the good thing about that position is that you have your fingers in all the episodes, right? So you get to be in the room with all the editors. You get to have the conversations with them. You're, you, I got, I got invited into the writer's room and they downloaded the entire episode to me or the entire season to me. And they were sharing books with me and sharing, you know, sharing, uh, uh, you know, information and data and trying to get me up to speed on what's the season about, 
what are all the main historical like beats that we're going to hit in the season? And I had the editors coming to me saying, Ugo, is this character a real character? Like, who is this character in my sh- in my episode? Tell me, can you what can you tell me about him? And I so I got to have a very close relationship with the editors and explain to them like, well, here's what happened. And this is the year that this person got arrested. And here's the footage I have. And I have this great shot of so-and-so getting put in handcuffs. And sometimes it would be like, oh, can you pull selects for me? And I thought, sure, yeah, here's the selects. And here you go. And here's a sequence of selects. And then sometimes they get so busy and be like, hey, can you cut something together for me? So now I'm starting to cut the montages of these really cool, you know, archival sequences that we have in the episodes. and some of those, sometimes those could be the coolest parts of the show. And, and I get to play in that sandbox. And then what happened really quickly is, you know, one day we had that great main title sequence with the Pablo seasons, right? And all of a sudden we're going into season three and they said, well, we can't use that same main title. It's all footage of Pablo, but we want the same concept. And, and you know, the main title company was struggling creatively on how to take us there and because i had the background in cutting montages and featurettes and all this kind of creative content as we call it in the industry uh within a couple of weeks of being in that position andrew and our post producer tim king turned to me and they said like you could do this right like you can cut you can do you can make a main title and i'm like yeah I, i can do that like sure and and then all of a sudden I was the main title guy and all of a sudden the rest of the season, now I'm, now I'm not only interacting with the editors, but now I'm sitting with the showrunner and I'm showing him my cuts of the main title. And he's saying like, Oh yeah, let's do this. Like you lead the charge. You, you take creative control over the main title. And then the main title company will just kind of support you and help you with graphics and help you with timing. And we, you know, and it became like a, a really great way to be in the room and get that relationship with the writers and the, and the showrunners and the editors. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden an editor, uh, an assistant has to go on vacation or do whatever at the end of the season. And they, and they slot you into that spot. So I got really lucky. And then the next season, they're like, do it again. <laughs> and, <laughs> again. and I was like, okay, this is what happens when you, uh, well, you're good. Huh? Show something. <laughs> now it's like a lot of pressure. Like, okay, here we go again. And again, like same thing, like, you know, you lead the charge and, and so, yeah, you just find, I think, you know, for the people that are looking for the, the ways to get into the room to, to, build those relationships you just say yes to whatever you feel like you're ready for right so uh, that was something that was in my wheelhouse i was willing to do it i was you know ready to jump into that position and you know whether it be that or it just happened that during season one of narcos mexico we had scoot doing the voiceover and for whatever reason the showrunner just really liked my (laughs) voice right so I started to get being pulled into the room. It'd be like, oh, Hugo, we need you over here because we have the pilot of Narcos Mexico and it starts with this giant voiceover sequence and we need to nail it and we got to get it right. So now I'm in the room, you know, with Ian, our our editor that cut the pilot of Narcos Mexico and we have the showrunner and he, they're directing me on how to do my voice and how to like, and then that became you know, what Scoot kind of like based his voiceover reading stuff on. And and I even got to go to the voiceover sessions. And I think that was really our showrunner trying to mess with Scoot. <laughs> he was getting a little insecure about it. And he's, he's like, come, come to the voiceover session. And I want to, I want to point to you and be like, that's the guy that you're, 
that you're recording. Though, <laughs> you better do a good job because he's standing right over there. Um, but so yeah, so any opportunity you can to just get in the room to, to you know, um, obviously there's like reading the room and, and all these skills that you need to learn. And and for me, that first season of getting on as the archival assistant, I knew that. I was going to just listen and I was going to pay attention because I had never been in a scripted shows editing room and I'd never worked in that world. I'd been in the chair and I'd been in stressful situations, producers over your shoulder, like asking you to cut things and all that. Like I'd had a decade of that. But uh, so I just kind of like stayed back and hung back and I just listened and I watched and I took notes and I, and I learned as much as I could knowing that I was like I, I said two seasons and then I'm going to switch over and uh, and somehow uh, it happened. But that again, that only happened because of because I I stated that I I made that a priority and I and I, you know, you write it down, you write down your goals, you tell people and you you communicate that to people without being pushy. You just say, like, this is my goal. I want to do this. I want to edit. I want to be in the chair. And and then you start taking actions that will get you to that goal because you say well if i'm going to be in the chair in two years what does that look like well you know so sometimes it means you make requests or you have conversations that put you out of your comfort zone and because you said well this is the only way that i will get there is this is how someone acts if they're going to transition to direct or editor in <laughs> pavlonia pavlonian slip <laughs> uh, one day not yet but um yeah yeah so, so yeah, so you start taking actions, you know, towards that goal. And uh, that's what happened. And thank God, man, knock on wood that, you know, I was on that show and those people that were supporting me and, you know, amazing editors that were just so supportive and just like, yeah, man, take a scene. Sure. You know, grab a scene, come on in, sit down if you want to watch, like whatever, you know. And Chris, I, I know you had the same experience where you got to come in and, and just get kind of shown, shown the ropes and and that, that was your experience on Marcos to, to get to move up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like hitting the ground running. And that, uh, that Ugo is, is a masterclass right there. I think. Yeah, I know. Like, hey. Brackets around there. And, and, uh, that was, We're I mean, done. That, that, really, that really is, you know, uh, you know, so much of everything of, you know, the best way that you could do, you know, that kind of a transition. I do disagree with you, uh, when you use the word luck twice, cause neither one of you guys are lucky. You're, you're that good. I mean, I've worked alongside you. I've seen your cuts. I've, I've seen how you handle yourself in the environment. Uh, luck is not really a part of it with you guys. It's, it is all, it is all talent and hard work. Uh, and you know, I've been fortunate to, to learn from people and, and to be, you know, in that environment. And, you know, there's a lot of, of overlap with, with Ugo's story in that, you know, I was also, uh, spent over a decade in unscripted and I'd done some scripted stuff and short film stuff and always wanted to get back to it but I was really making my bread and butter in the documentary space or in the you know cable you know crime show space um, and was making you know a good living there um, but you know slowly but surely even with documentary experience you know I was loving documentaries and sort of doing the other stuff to to you know really pay the bills and doing fine um, but it was getting repetitive and it was I always knew that I wanted to do scripted and 
you know, I felt like I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. And, um, you know, I was living in New York at the time and it's much trickier to get into it, uh, in New York than it is out here. And our second kid was on the way, my wife and I. And so we sort of knew we were coming out here anyway, but I remember sort of the moment where I knew I had to, to make a leap. It was television was changing. It was 2014. I was sitting on my couch and I was watching transparent. Uh, and there was this high drama scene in transparent. And I remember I was gripping the side of my, of my couch. I was just gripping it and, and, and watching the scene. It was as good as, you know, any, you know, feature I'd seen, you know, recently or, or thereafter. And I just said to myself, I was like, I have to give this a shot. I was like, if this, you know, the feature world felt a little bit closed to me. I'd done feature stuff before, small indie stuff, but you know, when TV started to open up, uh, and become sort of, you know, you know what I wanted to do. I felt like the really good drama was on TV. I said, I've got to, I've got to give it a shot. And I also had a similar, uh, conversation with my wife, but it was two years later. And, uh, our daughter, our second child was two or three months old. Uh, so, you know, a great time to tell her I'm going to take a massive pay cut. Um, but she, uh, you know, supported me then and she's, you know, supported me to this day. And, um, you know, that has been, that has been huge. Um, that has, that has made all the difference as they say. Um, but yeah, it was worth it to me. It was worth it to make the lifestyle sacrifices to spend less money on things and, and to, and to have to make choices, um, to be able to, to take steps forward, uh, you know, in this space. Um, you know, I had, um, you know, I started out on Cobra Kai as an assistant and did two seasons there and had a great experience there and got, you know, got to do everything from, you know, cutting to all the you know, nitty, uh, nitty gritty details that you have to do um, as an assistant. Um, and yeah, and then when I came into Narcos, you know, because uh, Joaquin, you and I had met and you know, I've, I've told the story of you <laughs> and me meeting and I told it on the podcast. And, and so we sort of started our journeys together. Um, and kept in touch and, and you brought me along to Narcos and, um, you know, and then it was just, you know, I, I could get more into, I'll, I'll pause so you can, you can get a word in, but meeting the crew on Narcos and it was, it was, it was, it was like no other in terms of like, I, I would really like, I'd kind of like to talk about that dynamic in that, um, you know, sort of the opposite of competition. Um, you know, everybody was expected to work hard and to do their jobs and to help each other. Um, and you know, I felt like, oh, well, I, I'm going to fit right in. Um, and so, you know, that, that was, that was sort of easy to see that from the beginning, although there were things that were very intimidating going into the environment, um, to begin with. So I'll let you take it from there, but I could, I could obviously, <laughs> we can even know, I mean, such, yeah. such, I mean, such, uh, you know, great stories, um, there because, you know, look, I, I mean, like we, we could certainly, you know, we talk about editing and we, you know, you know, people, people might think, yeah, we're just, you know, cutting images together and whatnot, but there's this other side of like <laughs> this career, right. That probably don't, most people don't know. And the, the, the sacrifices they have to make to, 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 to break in first and then, and then kind of navigate that career and look for opportunities and also, you know, be ready for those opportunities. Right. And in both of your cases, it, my case as well, it was like, it just comes up. It's like, you got to say, are you ready or not? And if you are, you got to back it up. You got to step up because here's like a, a big opportunity in the in case of like hey, editing main title, or editing an episode. And it's, a, it's this feeling, right? It's like, oh my God, right? I'm in the chair now. And, you know, you got to, you just got to do your best. And, and this is your, your opportunity, right? And it's like, I always tell people, it's like, when are you ready? I, I don't know if you're ever ready. I mean, it's just like, you just got to dive in. You just got to tackle it. I mean, obviously, be prepared as much as you can, uh, but these things just pop up, 
You know, the same way to me, like, you know, at, at, you know, Narcos Mexico. I mean, like I got, I got a random, I you know, posted about it. I got a random email from what was Tim King. He said, hey, man, like, can you use your researcher's, you know, your researcher's name? I had done a, a documentary with the day I met El Chapo. And it's like, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, how about, hey, uh, do you need an assistant over there? And then he's like, uh, yeah, you speak Spanish? And, you know, are you in the union? And then uh, I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, come meet me on Monday. And it's like, uh, all right. I mean, I hadn't really done a, a full season of a scripted show at that point. And I mean, I still was, you know, green. Obviously, got the job, and 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 you know, even that, like, I was like, man, like, there's a lot of stuff. Trust me, I probably went to Hugo a lot. I know I did. I bugged the hell out of you, dude. So like, how, how do you do this, dude? <laughs> That's the thing. It's like important to have such a support system around you. I tell people, it's like, hey, like, you know, assistants are pretty cool, man. Like, they, they got your back. Um, and so, uh, you know, but you just dive in. You just figure it out. You figure it out. Go in with their confidence and just figure it out. You know, What's you're up? all in it together. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of like knocking on the doors, like Joaquin. <laughs> what's going on like what how do i do this what's going on man do you know how to do this we're like no no let's go ask someone else someone else someone someone must, must know and if not we have to all google there to figure and it out google you know? yeah and it's i mean it's like you know you know joaquin when i was you know i would assist you but if, if ugo if you needed something or if you know whether it was in the office briefly sure. or in the office or if you were you know slacking me like hey we're doing this scene and uh, do you have something similar X, Y, and Z? So like that, you know, like that is as high a priority as, as, as anything, right? So it's like the people that you, you support and the people that you want to work with and the people that you want to emulate, um, you know, that, you know, for me going in, it's like, it, it was always easy to go, it was always easy to go to work. So it was like, I'm working around people who are doing exactly what I want to do and who are good people. Um, and so it was like motivation was, was, uh, never a problem. Uh, you know, on a show like this, you gotta, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot, you know, like I said, like sometimes I get pulled to go do voiceover for someone else's episode. And sometimes I'd knock on Joaquin's door and be like, Hey man, there's a slang. Someone's using the Spanish slang. And I have no <laughs> idea what they're saying. Can you please listen to it? And then sometimes you wouldn't know. And I'd be like, oh, man, like, what are they? Oh, wait, John. Okay, so John's from Venezuela, but he's also yeah. lived in Spain. So let me go ask him because that might be like a, like a South American slang here. And then we together try to like, be like, I have no idea what they're saying. Dude, dude I remember one time uh, there was something. Uh, was, uh, uh, was, uh, for, uh, um, we had a line. Someone from a, a Colombian actor said something. Yeah. He said it so fast. I mean, no one, no one could understand. No one, no one. And then our good, good friend. Or uh, Andy Bias comes in. He's like, "Oh yeah, he's saying this." I'm like, "Of course," because he knew right away, right? But no one in the office is like, "I have no idea what this guy's saying." It's great when the show owner turns to you and be like, "You know Spanish? What, what's he saying?" Right yeah, here? it's like, "Well, no, no, you don't get it, man. Wait, hold on. Let me tell you." <laughs> on my first day, that's what happened. I showed yeah. on my very first day. I was I actually came in just for a week to like cover for John or whatever. He was archival at the at the moment and he went on vacation. So I came in to cover for him. And on the very first day, they pulled me over. They're like, hey, come here. Listen to this line. What is What are they saying here? And I was like, oh. <laughs> all right. Uh, listen, Diaz, okay, remember Spanish. Well, okay. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, they said this. And then they'd be like, yeah, thumbs up. And I'm like, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talk about, uh, you know, Where's the my language. The, the, the language, uh, I mean, Chris, I mean, you know, you can certainly talk about that. Can yeah, you? I mean, I, I could, yeah, cut, cut me off because I can definitely talk about that. It was, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I had actually, uh, I had interviewed for um, Narcos Mexico season two uh, to fill in. 
because uh, you know Ian needed an assistant, um, and and I I did not end up getting it, um, and it made it made the most sense for you know one person on the team to speak fluently, and neither neither Ian or I did, so that was you know not necessarily the right fit. But I had stayed in touch with Tim, um, and you know you had introduced me to Tim, our our producer. Um, and so, you know, you and me together, you know, was was a much, uh, you know, was a much more sort of succinct fit. And I remember, um, you know, I and I took Spanish and I can understand it much better than I can speak it. Um, I didn't do well when I took it. But, um, you know, and, you know, my daughter is in Spanish immersion. So I'm always trying to talk with her in Spanish as, as much as possible. Uh, but I certainly don't speak it natively. And I remember being intimidated about that. And I remember, you know, you, you must have had four conversations with me trying to reassure me like it's okay like it's all right it's there it's like we've got other people and you know everybody helps everybody and you know we just you know we, we work it out i was like okay i was like if you think i can do this i think i can do this and and we'll move forward with it and then i came in i think i came in like a week before i started in in february 2020 because i just wanted to like say hello and like get the lay of the land and you took me in and you showed me it was it's episode two uh, spoiler uh, but we're okay with spoilers. We've yeah, already said that. Said it, warning. Um, yeah. So it's Enadina's wedding, uh, and it's like in the yeah. back room before Benjamin comes in and talks to her. And you know, the sumptuous costumes and all these bridemaids, and they're chattering at each other in Spanish. And I was like, I'm screwed. I was like, I'm dead. I was like, I'm screwed. I'm, how am I ever going to be responsible? Um, you know, to 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 make this kind of come together. And and so that was, you know, sort of working forward from there. It's like, well, it's actually it's OK. It's like you have there are people there who can translate. Not only that, but like just like what they're saying, what the bridesmaids are saying in the chatter, that's not necessarily going to be subtitled uh, and, you know, and be sort of featured in the show and and so on and so forth. And again, it's scripted. If this was documentary, you know, it'd be it'd be a different it'd be a different world. And so you sort of you take the pieces that you can grab onto, and then you sort of do your best. And and by the end of it, you know, when I when I was when I was bumped up to editor, um, you know, and I had Charlie, who's the archival assistant, and they bumped him up. And Charlie did like a miraculous job helping me subtitle all of the dailies. So anytime I was working with a showrunner, I could match back to the dailies, and they were covered. And sure, we might have to work with the translation here and there. Um, but you know, it is possible. Like the things that you don't think are possible. Um, if you, if you, if you, I say this to my son, which he's learning, he's, he's a great reader now. He's learning to read. We say back up and break it down, back up and break mm -hmm. it down. And so if you just kind of repeat that process, uh, and just stay positive and believe that you can do it, um, man. you know, it'll work out. You're a brave man, Chris. Yeah, man. I can't imagine like going onto a show as an assistant for the first time and like, you know, a show in Mandarin or something. Yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> and like type what I think is there. Because we have to say on our show, you know, the we could talk about how, the, you know, I know you want to talk about the process and everything, but there, there's a lot of ad-libbing. There's a lot of, you know, the actors taking the script and they throw it into their own words. There's a lot of slang that gets thrown out and a lot of like interpretation and extra stuff that goes into the, I, you know, to the frustration of the writers sometimes. <laughs> to, and then it's up to us to consolidate that and try to like make it fit in. Uh, and it's just the reality of a, you know, of American writers writing for Spanish speaking actors. And that's kind of a big part of the show. And, and it's very unique to this show. It's not something you run into in, in other shows. Usually it's, it's a very interesting problem, uh, creative part of editing that you don't have to, yeah, you don't always have to run into. Um, 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, right. I think a lot of people don't know that there is, you know, our writers don't speak Spanish. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. We have a we have a French product French production company. Yeah. Written by American non-speaking writers and then translated into Spanish yes. and then sent over the border. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have you have uh, Spanish speaking, you know, direct, very talented, amazing, talented directors, feature film directors from all over Latin America directing Spanish speaking actors. And sometimes it comes back and it's not always exactly what's on the page. You didn't say this. Wait, that. what? <laughs> <laughs> That's because the beauty of so this many show. Stuff's revealed. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Yeah. It, it adds authenticity for sure when they do that. It does. You know? And, 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 and yeah. we make it work and, and, and we figure it out. And, and it's a, a unique problem. Yeah, no, and, and, a, and a shout out to the most amazing crew down there in Mexico City. I mean, those oh, guys, dude. those people, they're warriors. I swear, the best crew ever. The um, A-team. A team over there, yeah. Casting crew, just uh, just amazing, amazing. Even watching this season, I was like, man, these performances are great. Not many performances, I mean, they're awesome. The, the the production design, the attention to detail. I mean, it's like people are, are like texting me. Obviously, I grew up in Tijuana, I grew up in Tijuana, and uh, are telling me, man, like the, you know, they got this so right. I mean, the details. It's amazing. Yeah, man. And you know, and so many characters, so many locations. They're out on location. Every other day, they're traveling to a new place, and and the stuff that we get back is just—it's really superb. It's really amazing what they yeah. get, what they pull off. And shout out to to VFX too, like you know guys like Andrew and everybody else who's, who's you know supervising that because uh, you know that plane crash looks really 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 good, and there are. There, you know, there, there's macro stuff and there's there's micro stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, go 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 watch uh, go watch the opening to season the, the, the <laughs> teaser to season or episode one of season three. You'll see what we're we're uh, talking about. But uh, hey, so I, yeah, we want to move along. Obviously, not talk about the show. I think it's time that people want to watch something. We can talk about it uh, before we get to that. Though uh, I want to say, yeah, we're gonna be taking your questions. So definitely put them in the chat box. Uh, anything you want to know about? Well, what well, we can talk about. <laughs> but definitely hit us up with your questions here uh, in the chat box. Uh, we're gonna get to those quickly, uh, and and also just give some shoutouts here. Let's see where people are joining us from, from from uh, San Diego. We got LA in the house. Tijuana, Kiwale. We got Long Island, New York, Michigan. What's going on? We got Cambodia. Wait a second. I've been to Cambodia. It's Miami. One of the most beautiful, beautiful places I've ever seen. It's great. What time is it in Cambodia? I know it. <laughs> gotta be twelve hours. It's gotta be. It's gotta be seven thirty in the morning. New Jersey here. Uh, this is awesome. People from all over the world. People all over the world love, love narcos. All right. Uh, so let's uh, let's let's jump on into some scenes, huh? And and, and talk about them. Uh, we'll start off, Hugo, with a, a scene that you chose. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the scene that uh, we are about to watch? So we are going to talk about the shootout at the end of episode three. Vogue was our director, Wagner. Great job on the episode. Uh, one of the reasons also that I wanted to point out this scene, though, is kind of what you talked about, the crew. I mean, you know, this this scene was supposed to be shot. This is the Christine's Disco, which is actually an actual event that happened. And this was a big set piece for us. And we were literally about to start shooting this sequence 
when COVID happened. So we ended up having to wait a year or so later. <laughs> yes. And we yeah. shot it last. They shot they shot it one of the last things we shot. And they found a great outdoor venue where they could shoot this big shootout. And they did an amazing job. Unfortunately, uh, Vogue couldn't actually go on a location, but we have a second unit director, Leo. And we have, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but because the show spans such a, because we cover so many locations and we're always out on location, we, we don't usually, you know, make sets. So they do have to go out and the crew gets spread all over Mexico. And because of that, the director isn't always there on every scene. So we have a second unit team and they did an amazing job with the sequence. It was a tricky one because, uh, you know, we have so many characters interacting. We have multiple layers of of the location. We have an upstairs, we have a downstairs. We have we have our Sinaloa team outside and they're waiting. Hopefully everyone's seen the episode and they're waiting to go in. They're dressed <laughs> as cops. And we have uh, we have an unsuspecting um, Tijuana cartel partying inside. And the interesting about this thing about the sequence, the interesting challenge, other than just the obviously the the shootout itself, was that we have a character named Baron who was going to take the center stage on this sequence. And all of a sudden, he's going to be elevated to this, to pretty much our hero for the Tijuana gang. And and we had never really spent time with this character, right? Like he didn't really have a lot of dialogue before this moment. And we, I was, you know, with so many characters, it's not always clear like who, like he's he's obviously part of the security team for Tijuana, but you don't necessarily always remember that information in the moment. So we had to kind of make sure that we set up the sequence and we laid all the pieces, all the chess pieces out before the chaos happens. And that was the most important thing for us that I found is as I started cutting the scene together was I started getting the footage and we had, we had four days to shoot this, I believe some rehearsal thrown into, but they were out there for four nights and I was getting the footage every morning and I was in a lot of communication with Leo, our, our second unit director, and he was in communication with Vogue and he was trying to emulate Wagner's style that he has set up, which is a very unique style from the other episodes, but he wanted it to feel very like free flowing documentary, like this energy of the camera always moving, which was a really interesting challenge. Joaquin, I guess we could also talk about that too, <laughs> but that, I mean, that, you know, yeah. that doc, but which is probably good because we had documentary background. So exactly. Right. So we're used to just mm -hmm. looking at lots of footage, yep. and not always knowing when you open up a, a shot where it's going to go mm -hmm. or it's not always a close up. Sometimes like it changes to a wide. But anyway, so. So, yeah, so we had we, we started putting putting this puzzle together and, and I realized like, oh, when we see Baron for the first time and he if you guys watch the episode, you remember he sees the police officers off to the side. And he's actually the first one, the first character that notices them. And he starts to approach Benjamin. Benjamin gives him money and tells him to go pay off these guys. And we have to get this character to the point where he can literally just walk up with no dialogue. He can walk up to these cops and shoot them in the face. And then the sequence, the action sequence starts. So that was an interesting challenge to like make sure that we understood what was happening in his head. And in order to do that, we needed to set him up. So, you know, I was on the phone with Leo. And I found it interesting, we could talk about this too, this is very interesting, it, it, a situation where the editor has to raise his hand and say, hey guys, I don't think we have everything we need. 
right? And sometimes that could be an uncomfortable position to be in. Um, luckily at that point, again, this is my fourth season on the show and I've, and Carlo is our, uh, showrunner at this point. And I called him up and I said like, Hey man, I don't think we have everything and we need to set this up so far. Everything is looking good, but just those little beats that we need to just make sure that everyone understands what's mm-hmm. happening before the shots are fired. And he said like, I mean, I support you, like call Leo, let him know. And I got, had a conversation with Leo and he said, all right, like, like I had already had these kind of situations before with Leah where it's a very collaborative situation where I say like, I think we should, we need this. And he'll say like, okay, I can get this I can get that. And he said, okay. And he, to his credit, he is like, tell me exactly what you need. Like, what's the shot? Where am I pointing the camera? What do I need? And I said, I need him. I need to see Benjamin. I need to see the other guys sitting around that table. And I need to see Baron behind them, watching them. And he's this protector. He's there. And even though it's subtle and he's right there, where he's behind them. We need to understand that he's there to protect them. Because without that, as soon as you see Baron start to walk through the crowd and look and creep up behind Benjamin, my initial thought was like, oh, he's he's about to kill Ben Cumming. <laughs> like, it, like, it was like this weird thing that you don't think about yeah. when you're writing the script. You don't think about when you're storyboarding. It's not until you see the footage sometimes where you go, oh, this is being, in- I could interpret this the wrong way. And especially on a show like Narcos, when there's so many characters and things move fast, you want to make sure that the audience is clear about what's happening and yeah. who's where and you know what side everyone's on so i just i didn't want him to just for that one maybe those couple of viewers that aren't always paying attention like who is this guy why is he walking up to benjamin creeping up behind him like that so yeah so we we ended up getting a leo got me some great shots of bodyguards and he got me some a couple and i used like every shot that he gave me of baron like watching over them and they're subtle they're just kind of like every once in a while the camera just kind of pops over to him and we see that he's there and he's looking around and he's watching and but those little moments become so important right they tell the story and yeah. then because then he's about to literally walk up and we, again with no dialogue he's going to look at these cops and we have to, and there was a lot of we spent most of our time in the shootout just getting that moment right of the camera zooms in we push it on him the sound goes out he's looking at the cops he's we go back to his face what do we what is he seeing what is he understanding and he starts and we start to see his process and he's understanding what's happening and there's a little bit of a cheat because we pop out and we see chapel outside saying like we're about to go in even though the character isn't seeing that and hearing that it's this little bit of a cheat of like the we're letting the audience know what baron is understanding right and and then we could just let that uh that Depeche Mode song just fucking go crazy <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and just let uh, the bullets fly. Yeah. And as long as, go. as long as we understand where everyone is and who's yeah. getting shot at, then the pe- but the chess pieces are laid out. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that was the most important thing. And that was the most challenging bit. And that's the thing that we messed with the most was just like the part up until that point. Cause we could, yeah, we, we know, we understand like boom, 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 someone shooting a gun on the other side cause and effect right we see we have to see where the bullets are going who's shooting at who like that's all very important but that's you could do you could mess with that with the footage non-stop but if you don't have if you don't have the pieces to set it up then then <laughs> you're screwed yeah right yeah and thankfully 
like, again, I, you know, I made the call and Leo was like, yeah, man, if you think this is important, we're going to get this done for you. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure it happens. And I had the support of the showrunner saying like, yeah, because, because yeah, sometimes it's, a, it's a little strange to be for them to say, well, we don't have a lot of time and this is going to cost us some effort to do this. Cause we've already moved on. Are you sure we need this? And it's that moment of like, Yes. <laughs> um, uh, yes. 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 Better to get I'm it. Say yes, and hopefully they get it. And hopefully yeah. I'm not wrong. Yeah. Because yeah. you got you got a hundred people over there in Mexico trying to get this done, but that's part of the job. Exactly. Too. Exactly. And that's a, that's the thing. It's also that's there's a there's the communication damage managing. Yeah. You know? you know. You got you have directors calling you or texting you saying, "Hey, take a look at this scene." That I get it. And you have to look at the scene and be like, yes or no. You, yeah, make a decision. This, this like, this like, maybe this like, this kind of like, I don't know, shrug your shoulders. Like, oh, I think you yeah. got it. Like that kind of stuff doesn't yeah. work. No, they have to. They you like, want they want you to know, or they need to know that they got it, or they didn't, and absolutely. they want an answer. And and sometimes uh, that takes just that that understanding of being on a show again, because I was on the show for four seasons, I knew that I was going to be sitting in that room with Carlo or digitally. <laughs> be yeah, looking at yeah, his face. Yeah. And he'd say, do we have this? And I would say, I don't think we have this. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, under, I knew what he wanted. I knew what he was going to need in the room. And, you know, some, just uh, some simple communication. And, and we got those little extra pieces that we needed. Um, So yeah, that, that's a big part of the relationship with the showrunner is knowing, having their voice in your ear while you're cutting and still being able to say, well, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to show an interpretation that I have as an editor, but I also have to know what he's going to be looking for and know that I have to have that ready or know that that's an option for me when he asks me, do we have this? Yeah. <laughs> and I could say, we do actually, you know? Yeah. No pressure, so, no pressure. Uh, yeah, well, no, well, well, hey man, I think we should just watch it. All right. Uh, you can't hear it, quite can't hear it, but the, uh, people are clapping for you. Uh, they're loving it. Awesome, man. Congrats. What a, an amazing scene there. Um, man, I, I see uh, people uh, definitely uh, hit us up with your questions here for, for Ugo. Um, put them in the chat box. But, you know, first thing, Ugo, what I mentioned, I think for me, like the, 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 the transition there, the emotion comes out, obviously, when, um, when they, they shoot uh, Enadina's husband, right? It's at that point... Yeah. It's like, the, it, for a second there, uh, the, the music cuts out, bam, 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 it drops, and then we come into some heavy, aggressive score, right? More erratic, and then we go into the, 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 the tunnel, whatever, the, the hallway. You did kind of uh, enjoy the silence, kind of creeps up still, reverby. Mm -hmm. The camera work is inside the kitchen, it's just amazing. I mean, it's just so frenetic, but at that point, it just, it just shifts. Right, because and it's so important about action scenes. Sure, I mean action is great, right? But the the, the emotion there is right. is kind of like what you need to bring out. That's what really you know stands out of you know. It's not just about cutting cool action. Certainly, that's a big part of it. But it's, you're still trying to communicate that emotion. Um, yeah, but anyways, that's what I. That's the one thing for me that really. I mean, amongst obviously a lot of things, but one thing that I want to point out. But uh, kind of yeah, yeah, no, that was. 
That was good. No, that, that, exactly. That it becomes a very subjective emotional moment. That's what changes everything, right? Is that, that all of a sudden one of their a family member and he has a new husband that we just saw she got married. All of a sudden now he's he's killed and the stakes had just raised so much higher. And we we treated that moment of going down into the 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 basement area and the kitchen as all of a sudden now they're going down deep down and all of a sudden now it just becomes like this nightmare scenario where like now you don't know who's gonna get killed next right like that drama of like now they're being hunted they don't have any guns baron's not there with them to protect them anymore someone just got killed and, and we just started like we really pushed and the sound mix is great there the you know our post team did a great job of just like you know making it feel like this very subjective echoey kind of like nightmare situation where you never know where the next person's going to pop out and the footage is great i lost my mind when i saw that kitchen shot that one That's it's the one shot where we yeah. follow them into the kitchen That's... and then the, everything starts flying and all practical like everything being like blown, all the food and the lettuce everything flying around and it's the real actors doing it shout out to them uh that was that was great. That was so fun to cut. I had a, such a good time. That's the kind of stuff where it's like, all right, like I can spend several days just sitting here doing, <laughs> cutting that over and over. And yeah, man, Depeche Mode, all of a sudden, it gets stuck in your head for days and oh, days yeah. and days. That's all, that's all you're hearing in your head going round and round and round. I have it on my play, my playlist now. I mean, actually, actually, a lot of, a lot of music from this season, yeah. or just the narcos in general, always great music, uh, you know, uh, yeah. is on my playlist, I got to say. Yeah, that was scripted, right? The, the writers, they're very, they're very specific about the music that they want. And a lot of times they write the songs that they love and they write the bands that they love in there. And it's great to like be able to go back in time and like revisit this music and sometimes do like a really great action sequence. And I remember at some point when my, in my first edit, as soon as the f- shots were fired, I cut out the Depeche mode and I go to score because Gustavo, obviously we know we love Gustavo's score. It's so good. And I, I, I switched to, to score. And the showrunner, our showrunner, Carlos, like, no, man, Depeche mode the entire time. I'm like, I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, the whole time. And I'm like, cool. Like, even though the song like ends, we're just going to keep playing it. And we're like, yeah. So then once they get down in the hallway, it just becomes an echo. And it just says repeating itself over and over and over. And it just becomes this really cool, creepy echo. And I was like, you know what? Good call, man. That was good. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I wish it, I wish they kept it longer. Actually, I wish it, it it lasted all the way to the very last moment. But we we have a um, we actually had a question that from Dimitri says was enjoy the silence always in the edit or was another temp track used before? But you clearly, no, clearly answered that. In the, it was written in the script that way. It was uh, it was always there, and it was yeah. It's a big moment of like when do we start Depeche Mode? When does it crescendo into this big like beat? So you're, you're playing with that a lot from the, from the first moment. And you're, and then again, like I said, like the, you know, the show and I just loved our writers loved having that be the track for the shootout. And, yeah. uh, and I thought it was, it was a great choice. I, I it was great. Yeah. Usually, uh, it definitely show that place with contrast, right? Especially with, with music. Um, yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, you would never think like, Oh, I'm going to score a shootout with, with the Pesh month. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember oh, like well. cutting, cutting a, a scene, uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, episode seven, season one, uh, 
where uh, Rafa kills those DEA agents. And, you know, we uh, edited that with Monty and it's like, you know, the first thought was like, let's, you know, you score, it's dark scores. Like, oh, how about Monty? We, how about we use this cumbias, silly cumbia song as these guys are getting butchered. It's like, oh, damn, right? It's, 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 but that's not the first thing you think of. And that's a good thing. Another great thing about this show also is that the, you know, because everybody has been on for the six seasons, you know, even, even back in like season three or season four, I remember the writers and the producers coming to me and saying like, Hey man, like, you know, we've done a lot of this stuff. Now we're in season four, we're in season five. Like, let's change it up. Let's try something crazy. Let's, and, and I'll, and I remember during one of the montages, I just started like incorporating split screens and sliding shots in and out. And we had something we'd never done before. And I just started playing around and be mm. like, what if we do this? And let's try to do split screens and sliding and these like boxes. And I just started like, cause I knew at that point, like they were willing to just like experiment and get creative and, and they loved it. And I was like, awesome. Like, I, I love that kind of stuff. I love when they can just be re- totally responsive and be open to just like any kind of crazy idea. And the, and, and they are. And, and they love it. Uh, we have another uh, question here from Nick Radford. Hugo, how long did it take for you to f- for your uh, take for your first assembly of that scene? Good question. Uh, probably. I don't know. I mean, a couple of days, like I said, we were getting these where they shot over three or four nights. Um, so we were getting the footage every morning and, and slowly just kind of assembling the pieces little by little. So and because it was at the very end, we had a little bit more time to, to play with it and get it right. And I don't know, maybe a couple, a few days. And then just like anything, you, 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 you sit with the director and you may have their own interpretation of it. And, and you go over that and, and then the producers have their own interpretation and, and it's always shifting and you kind of have to like shift your subjective idea of what the scene is and how, how to get through it based on who's sitting with you. And, and you have to kind of just like be open to just changing it and flowing. It. And it's just like this dance of like, all right, now we're going to, Let's try it this way. Let's try it from this character's perspective. What if, you know, what if we go through the shootout just from from this point of view or that point of view? So, uh, so yeah, it, it's always just shifting. One more question here from uh, George Lopez. Uh, not not the actor. He's that the, <laughs> the George Lopez. Uh, uh, Hugo, be- beautiful work. Did you do the reverb of the song going into the background in the? Edit. So talk a little bit, it mentioned kind of here uh, how, yep. the, you know, sound design works when we yeah. are in the edit and then what happens down the line as we turn it over to the, the sound team. Yeah. Uh, yes. The reverb was always there. Um, we, we, at least for me personally, I'm sure you guys are the same way where if I'm going to show something, I, I want it to be a complete thought, a complete idea, right? Like I want to take it all the way to its extreme where if I say like, okay, if I'm going to make this a nightmare scenario, once they get down and they go deep down and someone's been killed now, I'm going to push it to its extreme and I'm going to present a complete thought of what this should be like. And then it's up to the sound team now to kind of like take it and try to replicate that or maybe like push it even further. And sometimes... Like that, in that situation, sometimes they do something that's too realistic. Where they go, okay, this is what it would sound like if the music was playing on the dance floor and they're downstairs. 
and they go down below. This is what it would really sound like. And you have to say, no, uh, let's push it. And I know they probably go, well, they, they might not hear this, the music down there. And it's like, I know, but let's really get into their heads. And this is what this is, is an interpretation of what's in their minds, right? Or what's, what's happening in their heads. And they're just hearing this echo over and over and over. And so you, you have to really, sometimes you have to push them. Sometimes they take it and they, and they do what you did and they do it even better. And that's exciting. I love that. When you hear something, you're just like, oh man, the, you know, they've, they've, they've taken an idea, a kernel of an idea and they've, and they've just like taken it to like, it's to this, this, you know, higher potential than it could have been. And, and that also comes with the collaboration with them, right? Cause you, you spend several seasons working with them and they get to know what you're looking for in your style and stuff so so yeah they did a great job i think i think this thing came out really really well uh no man it was it was uh it's pretty awesome it's an awesome scene uh pretty great um let me see here uh we're gonna we should probably then now uh uh see if anyone else has any more questions uh for ugo here um would gladly take them uh, we gotta watch one more scene here from chris cavanaugh uh in a bit uh figuring this out real quick i'm doing a live switch in here guys so bear with me. Here we are. Alive. <laughs> We're doing it live. Oh man. Well, hey, dude. I mean, uh, it, it, awesome scene, dude. I mean, I, I mean, I could watch that over and over. I mean, it's just amazing work there. Uh, so congratulations once again, uh, Chris. Let's talk about the scene you picked. Uh, can you kind of introduce it for us? Yeah, yeah. I'll set it up uh, just briefly, and then maybe we'll roll it, and then I can comment on it. Sounds good. After we can we can chat about it. So this is this is Victor Tapia, our corrupt cop. Uh, who has uh, not only um, you know you know become you know sort of a secret spy for uh, for for you know the DEA at this point, but he's also sort of on his own trying to uh, he's trying to solve the you know some murders of, of women of, of vulnerable people. He's sort of taken it on himself that he's going to figure out who's who's killing women, um, and he has um, he has slipped off the edge to the point where he's become part of the system that he was trying to to combat. Um, and so this is the scene where he ends up, he's working at, at a brothel um, and it's his sort of, his world has been upside, turned upside down uh, and he is, you know, you know more or less uh, underwater. All right, guys. Uh, so we're gonna now, again, give you here a couple seconds to walk away. Uh, from your for wherever you're watching, uh, we're gonna check out here uh, a scene uh, from episode eight of uh, Narcos Three, Narcos season, Narco Mexico, Narcos Mexico season three. <laughs> awesome man, awesome man! Congratulations again! Crowd was going crazy. Uh, that was great, man. Again, uh, of course, awesome music as always. Uh, what was I mean? Talk a little bit about like the kind of preparing for the scene. I guess having conversations with with Carlo before it was even shot, and then opening up that bin, looking at the dailies, creating that assembly, and then then as it went through the the rounds of working with the director and working with Carlo, what it evolved into. 
Yeah, I mean, we certainly we versioned and versioned and versioned. Um, this is one of the scenes that, you know, even before you had moved on and handed the episode over to me, you had let me cut from scratch, um, you know, a few of the, of the Victor scenes. And so, was you know, was, had taken this one all the way. And, um, you know, I'm really interested in these Narcos characters from a perspective of, are they spiritually alive? Are they spiritually dead? Or are they spiritually in purgatory? And watching them sort of move between one pole or another. You know, sometimes they will hang out in purgatory and they will come back alive. Sometimes they will, you know, be spiritually dead and stay dead. You know, sometimes they have chances to move back and forth. Um, and, you know, Victor's character is, he's slipping away here spiritually. And you know, I think of Anadina, I think of in the last scene that we watched where Claudio dies, um, you know, spiritually to me, you know, she's, she's dead after that. And, and, you know, Ramon, you can't kill spiritually. He is, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's, he's playing with a turtle, you know, even when the world is falling apart and Benjamin is, is in purgatory and he's, he's sort of, you know, he's the fulcrum there. And so, um, so, you know, you know, back to Victor, you know, he, the, the world is, his world is caving in. Um, and, you know, he is, you know, Carlo and I talked a lot about him being underwater at this point. And we talked about uh, Vicente being sort of, you know, the Mad Hatter uh, that he just he's 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 almost he's almost he's hallucinating this. And he's saying to himself, like, how did I get here? How did I end up in this world where I was trying to help, you know, you know, women to not get killed by, uh, you know, you know, murders and, you know, these these poor women who are, you know, halfway between Makias and these, you know, these brothels, you know, how did, how did it, how did it become that he is an, an enforcer and it ha- and what would that feel like? And so a lot of the, you know, a lot of the audio is played um, sort of with that underwater feeling um, and they were looking for a song and I'm, I'm proud to say that I found that song. It's, uh, you know, the song translates to everything has its end. Um, mm, nice. And I think you either, I think you either love it or you hate it. Uh, and, and I, I, I do love it. And you found that song, Chris? I found, I found that yeah. song and I talk I about that so, and <laughs> well, it's, it, yeah, yeah yeah so it's um it's this it's this band modulos and it's toto tiene su fin and how did you find it i mean how talk about that so, so yeah well so they said you know we need something you know it was like how can we you know, you know, we, we, you know, we had, you know, Carlo had mentioned, you know, Vicente as the Mad Hatter and, you know, and that, and that Victor is, is sort of, you know, he's losing himself. And, you know, it's that out of body experience of like, how the fuck did I get here? How did things end up like this? And so when he's, when they sort of opened the door to a, a more hallucinatory, you know, perspective, you know, I went into, you know, I, just, I literally just started searching YouTube for, you know, sort of, sort of the, the psychedelia, you know, that had, you know, a, a Spanish, you know, you know, sort of flavor to it. And, you know, one of my proudest things is that, you know, this band somewhere that recorded this track, I think back in the 60s or the 70s, is getting like a really nice, you know, case of champagne from, oh, from yeah. bobbing <laughs> up the Narcos. Um, Love it, man. But yeah, so, you know, that was that was really, you know, you know, where I was coming from, you know, was, you know, was working with, you know, you know, with Victor and like, you know, what's obviously what's his perspective and how is he feeling and like, oh, my God, how did it get here? How did it get to the point where, the, the thing that I was trying to do, I've, I've now ended up on the other side and I'm, I'm working against that goal and I'm trapped. I'm, I'm, I'm trapped there. And so that was the perspective going into the scene. And, you know, we versioned it a million times. And um, but, you know, it was like it was a, kind of a joy every time because, you you know, and there were some limitations. Carlo had really wanted, you know, some some slow-mo, some 48 frames footage, and it really would have helped. And, you know, we talk about a lot of things with, you know, COVID and, and the and this and the series and, the you know, and, you know, I mean, they got us so much. They couldn't get us everything and we couldn't always get everything. And so we had to work with what we had. And we did. 
Um, and uh, and so yeah, so that's that's sort of sort of where we where we ended up. And you know, I think it's I think it's um you know I, I think it, I've been watching the the whole season this week, and um and you know I, I think with Victor especially because he's such a different character in Narcos. I think when I'm sure when we were all working with his scenes, you're like, is this gonna work? Like, is this gonna work? And I'm really finding that that he's working across the board, and and um and his character's coming through. So it's been kind of a delight to to watch that. Yeah, and speaking of that, uh, I mean, Chris Kobe here has a question. It says, great season. I also liked Victor, the cop's story arc, and his scenes looking for the killer. They had this thriller feel. How did you guys approach those scenes? Obviously, we, we all cut Victor scenes. Uh, but Chris, uh, kind of, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll start with you. Um, uh, obviously, there's certainly a lot of scenes there with, with Victor as he's looking for the killer. Um, what was the overall kind of approach to that? Oh, was, it, was that for, for Ugo? Uh, for both of you, but we'll start. Oh, we'll start with you, Chris. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, Chris, man, you you go for it, man. You're doing great. Um, that was a great, great scene, by the way. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, I think the, I think, uh, you know, again, you know, I came in, you know, I, the scenes that I kept for him were really more like, you know, you know, six oh eight, and so his character was already, you know, really well developed, and um, but it was, you know, he had two sides of his character. You know, he was, you know, we didn't, you know, we really didn't know which way he was going to go, um, and he was, you know, kind of playing playing all angles, but sort of slipping and falling on his face, um, all the time. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I took it, I took as, you know, as many sort of influences as I, as, as I could, um, you know, you know, I, I, I was really inspired by, you know, I, I did a chase scene with him and I was really inspired by, you know, Michael Mann, you know, just very, very straight up kind of like, you know, heat or thief, um, you know, kind of stuff. And so, you know, you, I guess you get that chance with Victor to play, you know, both, you know, the earnest cop and the sort of, um, you know, you know, you know, good and bad husband, sort of misogynist husbands. I mean, you just, I guess with, I, I'll turn it over to, to Ugo, I guess with, with Victor's character, you get so many chances to play the different sides of them. Yeah, Hugo. I mean, I was I maybe uh, Hugo. Um, you can uh, yeah. add to that, and also kind of, uh, I guess, also wanted to ask you. I guess at the same time, uh, talking to that, you know, we are all cutting different episodes, right? The same thing. Like we're all doing our own episodes. I mean, like talk about like that. The communication is there communication with other editors. See what you are doing. Are you watching the other episodes? How is everyone kind of on the same page, or is everyone kind of doing their own thing? Um, so, that's, so that's a cohesive season, right? It's not just we're all doing kind of our thing. <laughs> sure. I mean, first of all, all that spiritual spirituality stuff with the character. I mean, I think Chris stole all that from me. I mean, that was... Your thing. So yes, all that, all of that, and, and then more, which I won't explain here because it's, uh, it'll go over people's heads. But um, yes, uh that character, it was cool. It was cool dealing with a new character. It was cool, um, yeah, trying to find his voice. And, and uh, I guess for me, it's always, you know, it's always this dance between like what you're reading from the script, what you're, what, how you're interpreting a character. And then it's, for me, it's always a surprise. I never know what the director is going to come with me, come to me with and say like, oh, actually, that's not correct. Or or I was thinking about the character more like this. Let's look at takes like this. And and you start to shape the performance a little bit based on what the director wants and then obviously the showrunner. So. So, yeah, it's um, there's there's a lot of conversations and and that 
character. He, yeah, like you said, Chris, it, he's got two sides and he's, he's a little complex and it took a little while to kind of figure out like how much does he care? You know, at what point does he start to care? Cause you see in the beginning that he doesn't and he, there's a certain point where he slowly starts to kind of tip over the edge where he becomes obsessed. And, and that was, and we had a lot of those early sequences where he's starting to invest himself emotionally and, and trying to kind of calibrate that a little bit and saying, well, like, well, he doesn't care that much yet. Like at what point does he care? And, and thankfully the actor was really good. And we had a lot to play with. So, so, you know, it becomes like a lot of things. It becomes about like finding, finding it in the edit, finding about like shaping I, the character. I have to jump in too, because there is a scene in, in 608 that Joaquin cut with Victor and Tensi with his wife um, that I, I can say like changed basically not at all from when Joaquin first handed it to me for sound to like locked picture. And it's when, you know, it's when Tensi suggests that she maybe get a job and he sort of pulls his, um, you know, his, uh, you know, you know, more like Marlon Brando ish kind of like, you know, I'm the man and, and, you know, you're not going to work. And, um, and, you know, there's, you know, there's old fashioned tension, there's modern tension. And, um, you know, Joaquin, literally that scene, maybe, you know, I don't know if you can show it. You probably didn't. I didn't didn't clip it. It it. it. It was right right after. (laughs) But I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, the the way that you constructed that scene, it didn't change. Like you just you uh, you understood the character, you understood the emotion, you understand you understood her and what he meant to, and she means a lot to him, mm-hmm. and he's treating her terribly at times, and that's sort of the kind of beautiful tragedy because I mean there's so much love behind the the dysfunction, and it's sort of a sort of a microcosm of the of a lot of the, the larger themes of the show. Um, so although we're not going to see that tonight, I think one of the best scenes in his arc. Uh, you cut and you cut it and it was like, okay, it's just going to stay that way. And like, even after you cut the show, like that scene went on, director's cut, it went untouched. Producer's cut, it went untouched. It did not get noted by the studio. And it was just like, okay, yeah, I was like, well, that's the scene. So nice. yeah, um, no, that was, that was a great scene to, and a great scene to kind of just working uh, with, with Victor Luis, Luis Gerardo Mendes, uh, uh, I mean, I watched some, I went to, I watched some, you know, in Club de Cuervos, obviously you have, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a whole different character and it's to, for, to see him in this role was amazing. And I really, really enjoyed that storyline. I got to say, uh, it was really, it was, well, great. was great. I mean, Joaquin, we had to say, I mean, you're, you're from, your family's from Tijuana, right? Yeah. So to me, you know, working on the, so you have a, a connection to this storyline a little bit, right? I, I do. That's the thing. It's, you know, the, the beauty about working on the show is, is that, well, I don't know if I want to say beauty, right? But I mean, it's just that, you know, especially season three, it's, it's stuff that I, I literally, I lived through. I mean, I used to, I used to live in Tijuana in the, uh, you know, up until I went to, 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 to college. But I mean, um, uh, you know, in the nineties, I grew up in Tijuana. I, I experienced all those events. I mean, you know, uh, the Cardinals, you know, shooting, um, uh, the, you know, in this case, um, uh, you know, the newspaper uh, editor um, uh, getting shot. That was, uh, you know, uh, based on Jesus Blanco Ornelas and that La Voz is La Set, is El Zeta, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Newspaper in Tijuana, that actually happened. Colossus, death, like I said, um, all these things, right? I mean, look, I'm getting hit up by people, uh, 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 you know, texts uh, about all the narco juniors, right? They're, like, I went to school with that guy. 
You know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 all crazy, and and also then just simply the the, the attention to detail, like um, Alex wearing this Letterman jacket. Uh, is based on the high school that he went to in San Diego because they would live in Tijuana and, and uh, they all went to private schools in San Diego. Um, so I lived, yeah, definitely lived through all that. And, you know, I, I, always, I hear it from my family also, like who live from Sinaloa. My dad is from Sinaloa and uh, his family, especially with seasons one and two, right? That stuff that happened over there. I mean, again, Narcos is based on, this is real life. All right, obviously things are changed for dramatic moments, but, but uh you know, this is all based on, 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 on this, this stuff happened, right? Yeah, we would have, you know, on our on our date on our long lunches where we'd be like, hey, cappuccino? Sure, let's extend lunch for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Go get our cappuccino and yeah, you'd tell us you tell us how like you knew some of these characters or you or you knew people that were connected to these characters in, in some way. And and that was really interesting to be able to pick your brain a little bit about what it was like to grow up in that environment knowing that these narco juniors or these you know some of these characters or people that were associated with them were in your community and 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 were growing up around you mm-hmm. yeah exactly i mean it's actually actually you know you obviously heard a lot of bad stuff uh you know from people um but it, it was around you i mean you grew up around i mean like you know going say to a bar a club whatever you knew who was around you Right. Obviously, you just keep it cool to your thing. But I mean, that is what you literally what I at least grew up in people here in this region, in a lot of parts of Mexico, obviously. But uh, and obviously, we're still in it today. Right. Sure, um, yeah. Right. So it's something have, that's never yeah. going to end. I have a lot of family. I have a big family, as, as most of us, you know, Mexicans. do. <laughs> I have a lot of cousins that come up to me at parties and they're like, hey, man, what's the next season coming out? And we get talking and they're like, yeah, man, like, you know, I have cousins that grew up in Juarez. Mm-hmm. I have cousins that grew up in Guadalajara, you know, and in Tijuana or whatever. And they're, and they, they're sharing like, oh yeah, I was, I, I saw that happen. Like I was, I wasn't, I was around at that time. And we, and we got to see some of these events happen in real time. And, and it's, uh, and they enjoy the show. I'm like, you know, I'm like, are you, you guys into the show? Or like, is this, you know, does this cross a line for you? And they're like, no, no, no. Like I, we understand like, this is, you know, this is, it, it's such an interesting perspective. And, and I think the, the show runs really tapped into something with, uh, with the corruption and the, how the American government is involved and just really like giving it like a nice wide scope and showing how it's not just the narcos Absolutely. And some of these narcos, you know, they get into the business with good intentions sometimes and and they get corrupted and they they turn evil or or whatever. But, you know, they did a great job of just kind of like showing the reality of the situation. It's not just Mexico. It's the U.S. and and it's the world. world. You know, the world is is getting like, you know, is is bringing these is allowing these narcos to exist and and uh so yeah so i really appreciate it for that jumping into the show you know i knew i knew very little about colosio i knew, I knew very little about that tragedy and i think you know in being raised in this country you know we focus on obviously a lot on ourselves and you know not enough you know you know pointing outwards and you know joaquin i remember talking with you a lot about colosio and you know the you know and so I watched the, the 1994 you know documentary series, and we talked a lot about how you know this was this was a, a, a Bobby Kennedy moment. You know this was you know, the assassination, and this was you know this really represented you know the death of hope. You know in in so many ways, and so 
Yeah, the, the, the ripples of the tragedy and and what that does to to the spirit of people. And I think that um, you know, I think that flashy gangsters are always going to you know get eyeballs. People are always going to watch stories. You know, I'm a you know I I watch Peaky Blinders. I you know it's another you know it's you know historical fiction. You know, um, but you know I I understand why people watch you know you know gangster shows. But I do think that one of the things about um, you know Narcos that it does so well. Uh, you know, better than an American gangster show is show the utter lack of alternative for the people who end up, you know, in this business. It be for me, you know, for me as as a viewer, you know, as as a participant in the, in the creativity, it becomes a sort of well, yeah, of course they got into that. There wasn't. There wasn't, you know, a, there wasn't a choice. There wasn't something else that they could go into. There wasn't a bootstrap path. And so, in in many ways, I'm not I'm not forgiving or excusing anyone's behavior, but it's about empathy. It's, it's like if you can empathize with people, well, then you can you can watch anything. And I think that the that the writers and the directors and 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 you know people like you know you guys who um, have lived with the history um, can bring that kind of empathy. And I think that's why people around the globe fucking love this show because um, <laughs> you empathize with the characters. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's a different, different, it does, this type of connection and, you know, with this show that, uh, at least for me, you know, like I said, like from the beginning was just kind of, um, you know, I remember walking into the Narcos Mexico offices um, and seeing like what it was going to be about. And, you know, I was like, man, oh, my God, they're doing something like this. Is, I mean, I'm reliving my childhood, right? It's like it was pretty nuts. Uh, but, hey, I want to tell you, one, you know, we're going to start kind of wrapping this down. And if you've got any more questions for Hugo and Chris, uh, hit us up. Well, we're going to we're going to start winding down. I know, uh, you know, it's, it's Friday night. You're probably all gonna want to go out there hit the club or something, or like someone already went to go. Said, Nick said he went to go deal with his kids, uh, and so uh, I know you guys have families, so I'm gonna be respectful of your time for sure. Um, I guess kind of to, to kind of you know start winding it down. I mean, like uh, we've talked about editing, telling stories and whatnot. Uh, I guess for people that are watching here um, that are interested in, in doing this, um, that that want to be editing you know film and or scripted tv shows in hollywood um what what advice would you give to someone uh, that is you know whatever in, 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 in michigan long island wherever it says i want to be over there in hollywood i want to be editing the stuff you guys are, are editing <laughs> i mean i could start like you know the um you know being dedicated to your goal and just talking to people I know, you know, I was just telling Chris, I listened to you guys' podcast that you guys say together. And I think I think it's so beneficial to just like decide what your goal is and start to share it with people. Because that's the only way you're gonna do it. I I can't I couldn't have done it alone. You know, I I couldn't have done it without the support of, you know, Andrew, who you know knew that I was capable of doing the job and brought me over in, into the position. And you know, even like, you know, some of these guys that I knew there, and 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 just you know, saying it, speaking into existence, whether it's writing it down in your journal or, or telling your wife or telling whoever it is, just like speaking it getting involved in community and sharing it. And and now all of a sudden you have people holding you accountable because suddenly someone's going to call you and say, "Hey, I know you wanted to do that thing. There's a there's a position that opened up. Are you are you ready? Are you you know, are, are you going to do it?" And you and all of a sudden now you you find yourself in a position where all you have to do is say yes. Um, so I think I think that's a big thing is just making that choice and then trying to live into that like 
sharing that, moving forward, taking actions, having people hold you accountable, you know, all that stuff. And then obviously you need to have some of the skills to support that. So that means that you're cutting stuff on your own, you're doing short films, you're, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to acquire the skills so that when that moment comes that you're ready. So for me, that was the biggest thing is, is just having people in my corner already like rooting for me and already kind of allowing me to step into situations. And, and that's huge. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of people with it, whether it be, you know, Tim King, our post producer at, at Narcos, who, who gave me the shot and trusted me to like take over the main title and then trusted me to sit in the seat and knew that I can do it or the showrunners or whatever, you know, the people, even the people going back to like people in, in the marketing stage that that gave you those opportunities like you just you have to be ready and you have to let them know that that that's what you want well that's what i that's that's what i always say to people it's like you got to put yourself out there right you gotta you gotta project your your goals what you want to do tell tell people what it is that you want to do because honestly simply is if you don't no one's going to know what you want to do you can't be running on a guess right but it's really putting yourself out there putting uh I mean, the energy out there and and i mean hey listen eventually i want to i want to i would love to you know switch transition into directing myself i would love to do that it's something i did back in the day and and i always wanted to do i ended up editing and i love that too but and you know at some point i went to carlo and i sat with him and I had to just tell him, like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> nice. And can I go to set? Can I go visit set? Can I go shadow the director? And that was an uncomfortable situation, you know, to be in, to put yourself out there. But unfortunately, COVID hit and that didn't happen. But I went and had the conversation with him. I went and had the conversation with Jesse and I, our, our other producer who's on set all the time and, and just let them know this is something that I wanted. And if the opportunity presented itself and it was convenient and I can be of service to have an editor on set, like that's something that I want to do. And and they could say no, but I just needed to at least let them know that it's something that I was interested in. Right. Um, you you got to at least, you know, you obviously know what the out- outcome, outcome can be. There's no guarantees, but at least you, you know you said it. Yeah. Right? You can live with that. And you, yeah, just commit. <laughs> And if it, if you don't reach your, you don't achieve your goal, then you reestablish, you make a new goal Absolutely. and you just keep moving and you don't stop. That would yeah. be my advice. I, nice I could not, I could not say it any better than that. So I, I, that's perfectly said. And, you know, to echo a few of your points, your reach should always be further than your grasp, right? You shouldn't be afraid to, to, to go for things and you shouldn't be afraid to say, you know, I went for something and it didn't quite work out. So I'm doing, you know, this, you know, and, and this is, and this is how I'm going to repoint myself at my goal. And that, um, you know, to, to reiterate one more thing, you know, people, none of this happens without people. You could be the best editor in the world. You know, if, if, if you, if people don't support you, um, you're not going to go anywhere. And, um, you know, the last thing I would say is, is, is be a giver. You know, there's, uh, there's take everything that Ugo said and then read the book give and take by Adam Grant. And so there's like, (laughs) there's, there's three matching styles. There's, there's givers, matchers, and takers, you know, matchers like, okay, Okay, if you help me out with this, I'll help you out with that. But like, then there's people like you, Joaquin, who just give, you know, who are like, I'm going to help you out. Like, I'm not going to ask for anything in return. Uh, I'm going to show you that I'm there. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you're not going to hear from me tomorrow saying, Hey, can I get something in return? Um, you know, from you. And I think that people, when people on a team see that that's who you are, then you become, you're like gold to them. And so like, for me, that was, you know, when I was, when, when we were in producer's cut, you know, I was trying to just, just take notes, you know, just, just listen and take notes. And like afterwards, like just give you the notes and like, and you were taking notes too. And so on and so forth. But it's just, it's just always asking myself, like, how can I give to this process? Not, not how can I get something? Um, and that, I think that that's the, that's what I would tell people if they want to move forward, if they're feeling stuck, um, it's about people and it's about, you know, it's about giving first before asking for anything in return. Yeah. I know, Absolutely. I know sometimes editors were, were known as being introverted and, um, antisocial cause we work alone all day long, but it's, <laughs> it, you know, I, 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 since I, since I moved into the editor's seat, I've had some really great opportunities and I haven't stopped working and I haven't stopped getting calls and almost none of those calls are based on my resume. Yeah. They're all based on somebody saying, you need to hire this guy. Yeah. He's collaborative or, you know, those are the words that I hear, collaborative, easygoing, patient, right? A lot of directors require a lot of patience on the other end to like mm-hmm. explore and to, and, to, and to try stuff. And sometimes you go down a road for days and they go, Never mind, put it back. But you have to go down that road, even if sometimes you don't know if it's the right answer. But you have to you have to know enough to know that it's that you don't know, and you have to explore it with them. And that's one of the things that I've learned is like my my love for filmmaking, my love for these edit, these directors, and supporting them and supporting their vision has gotten me to the point where they bring me on to projects and they 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 call me to to join them on stuff because they know that I've I'm collaborative and I haven't burned bridges and and you try to just stay open minded and 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 again it's it's not about the resume. It really isn't. That's something that people need to understand because I've I've had I've gone for jobs and they go, send us your resume and I say, Okay, let me update it because I've I you know I've been too busy to and they go, Oh, never mind. <laughs> and I go to the interview with no resume. Yeah. Because it's all just based on someone they know, someone that they trust saying, hire this guy. Hmm. And that's the point. That's that's what you need to get to is that those personal relationships where they trust you and they know that you're going to support their vision. Well, that's the thing. It's like what I always talk about is, you know, we often talk about use the word networking, but really what it is is building relationships, right? That's the thing. So and this is an industry that's based on relationships. And so it's so important to to develop those. And if and if if, if you know we do have if you or if someone has a problem with that say has is, is you know is shy or you know has a problem communicating i mean it's definitely important to to work on that right i mean it's it's i look it's deep advice that i got from you know a, an editor uh and said hey man like you like don't be the quiet one right i mean like definitely again put yourself out there meet people talk to people let people know who you are who are you as a person so cuz like you said it's not always just simply about the work it's more about you who you, who but you also, are. But also read the room. <laughs> that's another part of it. Is, is, that's I'm sure we've all encountered the person that walks into the room and says, hey, I got an idea. Let me sh- <laughs> let me tell you. Let me force my idea upon you. And you're like, 
who are you? <laughs> well, we, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we all got some stories right. about that. So that's yeah, and that's the thing. It's like yes, an important part of you know again editing is uh, the politics, navigating the politics politics of the of the cutting room, um, and so that's also just important because it is all about again you're just constantly communicating with people as an editor. You're more of a you are you're more of a manager. I mean, you're, you're you have to deal with those politics. You're 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 dealing with your you know we often say we're like a therapist right in that room um so we're not even here talking about actual cutting things and uh <laughs> i mean you know right i mean i mean that's the thing about editing that no one really talks about or most people don't know about and it's a huge huge part of this job um you you, you both touched on that and i would say that again you know is that you like we don't what are like what's your approach to directors and producers is you know one thing you know we're, we're talking about and it's like it's it's you have to give yourself creatively and not hold back to their vision even if you 100 you know don't think it'll work because they can tell if you're holding back they can tell they know and then the trust is gone and then yeah. you know, w one out of four times that you think it's 100 not gonna work it works way better than anything that you had thought of and that is i think that's one of the hardest things for editors to get over with because what's put us put us in this position to begin with is like we know we have a vision and we know and we 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 and when then we're alone and we feel like so so that that's amplified like okay i can i can i can put this into place and it can be so hard when you're starting out to to knock all that over again and then build everything up and then to, and to give yourself to to you know creatively to somebody else's idea and and if you can do that then you can you can make progress and everybody gets there eventually you're going to have to get there if you want to do this type of work and th that's a, that's huge that's a huge lesson i had to learn sitting in the chair and scripted was to realize like oh i don't know like maybe that's okay <laughs> yeah. to say that like maybe i don't know let me try it so I always try it. So if the director mm -hmm. says like, hey, what do you think about this? And I think it's a bad idea. You I say, it. you know what? Let's try it. Let me see. Yes. Let's see it. Because what happens is sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't at all. But what you find is you get to that third solution. The one where it's like, it really is a collaboration. It's like, well, oh, that didn't work. But wait a second. Hold on. What about this? And then it works. And you're like, we never would have gotten there if we didn't go down that road that, you know, that you knew was wrong. But at least you started exploring and opening up and and getting out of your kind of closed vision that you like you said, Chris, that you created by yourself without someone else in the room. So a lot of times I bring in my assistant and I, even if it's digitally, I bring him in the room. I say, hold on, let me bring my assistant, David. Let me bring him in. And I'll, and I'll sit them and I'll say like, hey, David, here's what's going on. We're, we're trying to come up with a solution for this. We don't have an out for this scene. We don't have an intro into this scene. Just come into the room and just start like spitballing with us. Like, what do you think? Yeah. And he'll start just like, and then just by having him in the room. We got another guest. I think, I think that might be That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's <go>. your done. <laughs> cool. <laughs> We'll, we'll 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 wrap it up. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. That's, anyway, that's, that that third solution is is key. and and you know, like like you're saying, Hugo, it's like if you start out like you can start out super super low in this business, and like and then if it's the editor and the showrunner, and then like if they're if they both have a different idea, they're gonna ask you. 
They're going to mm-hmm. say, what do you think? And like, and so like you might have, you know, you might be, have done nothing all day, but the editor and the showrunner are going to ask you what you think, um, yeah. you know, when you're just starting out. And like, and so if you're paying attention, uh, it's going to show. And it doesn't mean you have to hit a home run. Um, but, you know, if you if you show that you're paying attention, um, then, you know, then all the better for you. And that's how you that's how you get involved. Absolutely. Yeah. I always have, uh, 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 you know, prepare. I, I, I need to know my episode very well in and out in, because it's, I need to have an answer. Someone's asked me something about it. I need to have at least provide this information or maybe a, a solution or something. I can't just be like, huh? Ah. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you need to say something. You got to be confident about it. And, uh, you know, you got to trust your gut, you know, and you just got to do it. You got to go for it. Yeah, um, and and Ugo, I think I have to say, my kids went ape at about the same time. I locked my door, my office door. Oh, that, that, was my, that was my secret move. Okay. I heard the bath going on. I heard a little, little okay. activity going on. Yeah, it's a little. You might not have a lock on that door. Cool. Well, hey guys, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate thank you, guys. community. I appreciate you. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get off right now, but uh, for sure, Ugo. Thank you, Joaquin. Thank you, Chris. That was fun. Thank you, Ugo. Good seeing Good you, man. See you, Ugo. Chris, well, uh, thanks, for, dude. Thanks for being here. Uh, My I'm, pleasure. I'll, I'll see you Monday morning. Uh, I'll see you Monday. Have well, a good rest of your week. Yeah, dude. I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you uh, doing this. Uh, thank you, and congrats, dude, on some uh, great work on season three of Narcos cool. Mexico. Um, you know, you keep you're gonna keep doing great, dude. You know, and, and you, 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 we've been on, as we said before, and in the podcast, you haven't listened to it, everyone out there. Uh, we've been on this journey uh, together, Chris and I. Yeah, it's man. been great well, doing thanks, it man. with you. It's 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 been an honor, and it's still an honor to, to keep working with you. And, and I'm so psyched about it. And and it's fun. It's fun to talk to people. I look forward to talking to, to more people. And uh, and uh, hope everybody had fun tonight. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to everyone that's here. Thanks for joining us. We're going to, we're going to start playing it out here uh, with our track, but thanks again for showing up here to the, to the special webinar here from Hollywood editing mentor, the editing of Narcos uh, Mexico. We're going to say thank you to everyone here. Karina, thanks for being here. Jacqueline Sarabia. Muchas gracias. Chuy Rosales is here. What's going on, Chuy? Sir Tato Productions, thank you, man. Sunday Fun Day is here. Luis Mesa, all right. Annika Brown, thank you for showing up. Mike, thanks for watching. Richard, thank you. Jennifer, I'm glad you're so glad you showed up. Thank you. All right, guys, it's uh, it's it's been great. Thanks for showing up. Uh, make sure. To uh, check out HollywoodEditingMentor.com for uh, you know more information about editing, about this career, uh, health advice, and health and wellness tips. And check out the podcast, uh, HollywoodEditingMentor.com/podcast. Uh, Chris uh, is is on there. He gets some great advice. You got you got to listen to it. You got to listen to it. Um, but uh, all right, guys, thanks again. Have an excellent night. Thank you for spending this Friday night with us. Uh, make sure to check out HollywoodEditingMentor.com. See ya.